I'm a pretty simple guy. Uh, when it comes to my absolute favourite meal in the whole universe, uh, it is bangers and mash. Bangers and mash. Can't get enough of them. And growing up as a child, uh, I tested the limits of can't get enough of bangers and mash. Uh, my parents and my mother uh, dished it out at amazingly regular intervals uh, and uh, I loved it every time it was dished out but then some, something happened mid-teenage years. Uh, somehow I got to the point where I said no more. I can't possibly eat any more bangers and mash than I have and somehow it all became pretty samey and bland and boring and uh, I was quite relieved uh, the day I left home and uh, went into uh, study at university and then continued to study at Bible college that there was a long period there where bangers and mash were not on the menu. And even as I entered married life, uh, Elizabeth is not a fan at all of bangers and mash. So if you have us over for dinner or lunch, feel free. Bangers and mash, fantastic. Just uh, don't be surprised if she doesn't eat uh, much of what's on her plate. But uh, I'm happy to eat hers as well, so that'll be fine. But uh, really, when I got married, there was uh, started to be a while where I was longing again for that taste. And when I arrived in this country... Uh, I was so happy to see just how many sausages and potatoes you have. This is a country of bangers and mash. In fact, I think we uh, stole the phrase from you. And uh, really, I I think uh, church can be like bangers and mash. You might wonder what I'm uh, talking about here, but uh, I reckon we can get to a point with something that we know is good. We know it's good, Uh, but we get to the point where we, we experience it so much you know, especially in a week like this where we've got something like church family prayer on Wednesday, you might have been in a home group this week, there might have been all sorts of things happening and you get to Sunday and you just think, oh, I've just about had enough of being uh, with this community of people. I, I've, I've got, it's got samey, it's got bland and it's not exciting when you wake up this morning you didn't think, yes, I'm going to church this morning. I think we can get to that point. Well, if that's you this morning, even just a little bit, even if uh, it's lost a little bit of its spark for you, the taste has got a little bit bland, then I'm hoping our second look at Ephesians will rekindle your taste for how good it is what we are part of here. And we're going to look at uh, just a few verses, Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, which is worth getting open, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, and we're going to see how good a taste it is to be part of the community that we are a part of. And I'm going to pray that God will help us As we uh, read these verses, he will help us see uh, who he has made us. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you do speak to us clearly. And we pray now as we open your word together that you would uh, make us humble before it. Father, prepare us to receive it and to be changed by it. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now you may see on the service sheets the title for this sermon Uh, in this series, Seeing the Church as God Sees It, is seeing that we are powerful. Now, during the week as I was preparing the sermon, it it became obvious to me that uh, when I came up with that title in Australia that that was a pretty ordinary title, a pretty bad title. So I've come up with another one uh, and this will hopefully help us as we go through this passage see where we're heading. Seeing that we are purposeful. Now, small difference, but uh, important. Seeing that we are purposeful. So have that in your mind as we go through this passage. And really we're going to see three things in this short passage. We're going to see why Paul thanks God 
for a, a congregation a bit like this one this morning, why he would thank God for this church. We're going to see what he would pray for a congregation and what we could pray for a congregation like ours. And thirdly, we're going to see what is the purpose of this gathering that you are a part of this morning. They're the three things that we're going to see. So let's start with verses 15 and 16 and see Paul giving thanks that God's church exists. Now if you were here last week, you might remember that the first 14 verses of Ephesians was one long burst of praise from Paul. It's actually one long sentence. He just was pouring out praise to God for all the blessings that he had poured out on his people. One after another he listed them and it was an amazing passage. And if you weren't here last week and even if you were, let me encourage you to go back to that list and to see see the blessings that God has poured out on his people, on us. But then in verse 15, Paul's letter sort of resumes normal transmission or at least normal for Paul. Generally in Paul's letters he starts with a thanksgiving, a short thanksgiving prayer and that's what we have here in verse 15. He thanks God that the Ephesian Christians and the Ephesian church exists. Now you might think at first that's a pretty sort of bland thing to thank God for. You know, if to thank God that Christchurch forward exists. You know, surely we want a bit more to it than that. But have a look at verse 15. See why he thinks it is worth thanking God for a gathering like this one. Why we would thank God for this gathering more so than we would virtually any other group that we're a part of. Think about all the groups that you're a part of in a given week or a month or a year, all the gatherings that you're a part of. What separates this one from all of them? What makes it different? Well, verse 15 says two things separate this gathering from any other one on earth. Firstly, faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing, love for all the saints. That's why Paul is on his knees thanking God for those two things, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for all the saints. You see, the Christian church, our church, exists for and because of two things. We trust Jesus, our Lord, and we love our God and we love each other. And for Paul, that's worth thanking God for because for him it's an amazing thing, a radical thing, to find a gathering like that anywhere in this world. Think about it. In the midst of our world where I think most groups form for for some sort of self-interest, some sort of interest that they're they're formed for, comes a group like this. Think about all the groups in our world. I I was thinking the ultimate example in recent time in the UK that uh, since we arrived here was all over the media, it was hard to miss it, was Celebrity Big Brother. Now if there's ever a group that's formed for self-interest... That's it. Here you have a group of uh, C grade, maybe Z grade celebrities. I've never heard of any of them. You might have heard of all of them, I'm not sure. But uh, they're gathered together in the vain hope that being in this little group and being watched, that somehow it might spur their career back into life. That's the sort of group that our world forms and maybe even the sort of group that we're fascinated by. But in the midst of groups like that, something miraculous is happening in Ephesus Here is a group that trusts Jesus and loves each other. Now I want you to cast your minds back to Wednesday night if you were here, to church family prayer. And I want to tell you that that is a miraculous gathering. 
a miraculous gathering, as countercultural as you could possibly get. Think about what was happening. Here was a group, a gathering, that was expressing its trust in Jesus by praying in his name and then expressing its love for each other and its love for Christians all over the world by praying for them, by hearing about them. That is a miraculous thing and Paul says it's worth thanking God for. But not only does Paul constantly thank God that such a gathering exists, you see there in verses 16 to 18 he moves on in his prayer. He prays that God would bless them even more than he already has. Now remember this is the God who has given them every spiritual blessing. Paul prays even more for them. As we look at his prayer for this Ephesian church, my prayer is that it will become our prayer for this church. Paul's prayer, quite simply, is that we grasp to the fullest possible extent who we are, how lavishly we've been blessed and for what purpose. And to do this, Paul prays for a church like ours that the members of the church might have their spiritual senses sharpened, that they might be tuned perfectly so that they would see God clearly and see what he was doing. I was trying to think of what, that, what Paul is praying for here and why he would pray for something like this and the, the image that came to my mind was going to the Sydney cricket ground to watch cricket. Now I've done that lots of times growing up as a boy and uh, I remember in my sort of teenage and then adult years one of the things, the phenomenons that struck me was that whenever there was a break in the game, whether it be lunch or t- tea or drinks or whatever, that almost simultaneously 50,000 people would pull out their mobile phones and try to ring someone. And the problem with doing that is when 50,000 people all try to make a call in a, sh- a small little area, the poor little aerial or whatever it is that makes mobiles work just can't cope. All the interference, all the different signals trying to get through and none of it gets through. That's Paul's worry, that in, in the midst of living in this big city of Ephesus, with all, all the things going on, that they would, they would not see clearly what they are in on. And so Paul was praying that God would clear away by his Holy Spirit the interference so that they would hear and see clearly. And he prays for three of their senses to be sharpened. Have a look. Firstly, verse 17, he prays for wisdom, that they would be wise about their God. Now wisdom's a tricky word, I think. Generally when we hear the word wisdom, we we think of learnedness, someone who's wise about a subject or maybe wise in relationships and dealing with people or maybe shrewd with money. But when a gathering of Christians that trust God and loves each other asks God for wisdom, they're asking God would fill them with fear and awe of him. That's what wisdom is. That's a big prayer, isn't it? Think about it. When was the last time you felt awe and wonder for God? If you're a Christian, does it make you tremble that before God even created you, before that had happened, he chose you. Out of his pleasure and according to his will, he chose you to be his child, to be set apart, blameless, redeemed, forgiven and protected. Before you were even born, he chose you. Does it make you tremble? Do you see how God our Father is described in verse 17? Have a look. He is the glorious Father. Now that word glory is all about weight. It's all about significance. It matters. He matters. That's what Paul is praying, that they would see how much God matters. 
And when we pray with Paul that we would be wise before our God, we are asking that he would bring back to our meetings if it gets lost, bring back to our Bible studies, our quiet times, even our lives, or for our glorious Father. And so if we come together like we have this morning and we are not led to tremble in praise before our Father, then we need to pray that he will bring wisdom back. The second sense that he asks God to sharpen for the Ephesian church and that we should pray the same for ourselves is for revelation, for knowledge of God, knowledge of him. And again we need to be careful that we understand what is meant by knowledge here. You see, knowledge throughout the Bible is that it's not accumulation of data or facts or information. We're not praying that we would learn more about God like we would at any other subject. No, for us to pray that God would reveal himself so that we would know him better is to pray for intimacy, prayer for relationship. That's what we're praying. The biblical idea of knowledge is far more relational than our idea of knowledge. In fact, when God speaks of relationship between himself and the church, he speaks of us as his bride. We are praying with Paul that this group would know God as a husband knows a wife. That's what we're praying. Our prayer is that when we open the Bible together as we are doing now, when we praise him in song, when we bend our knee in prayer, that we would grow in our relationship with him. The third sense that Paul prays would be sharpened in the church, verse 18, is that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Really, he's praying for insight here. See, uh, the other side of knowing God. Not only does he want them to know him, but he wants them to know his purposes, his ways. He wants the very core, the very essence of who they are to be filled with God's purposes. That's what the heart means in the Bible. It's not a small little compartment of who we are. It's the very centre of our being. It's our inner self, our mind, our emotions, our souls, even our guts. God wants them to be filled with his ways. Try to visualise what that means. Uh, The only image that I could come up with during the week was uh, I've noticed in my time here already that uh, people love to do loft conversions. That if you've got a roof cavity, you convert it into a a, a sort of a loft. We've got one in uh, the house that the church has provided for us. It's fantastic, except I keep bumping my head, but that's because I'm a dope. But uh, really, uh, I've seen these trucks driving around everywhere, loft conversion expert. And so these people come in and what they do is they take this dusty, dark, cavity in the top of houses and they fill it with windows all over the roof and they clear out the dust and all of a sudden it's this floodlit, sunlit room. It's amazing. That's what Paul is praying for the Ephesian church here, that the the very centre of the, the Ephesian church, the Ephesian Christians would be filled with the light of God's ways rather than anything else. It's a big prayer, isn't it? Paul prays that they be wise, that they grow in knowledge and inside of him so that their senses are sharpened. And the reason? So that they might grasp the purpose God has for his church in Ephesus, the purpose he has for this church. And again, in terms of that purpose, Paul picks up three things in verses 18 to 23. Have a look at them. Firstly, verse 18, if our senses are sharp, our spiritual senses are sharp, 
then we will see the hope to which we have been called, the hope we were chosen for from the basement of time. You see what Paul is doing here? He says if your spiritual senses are sharp, then your whole purpose in life is realigned. Think about all the things that you could say is, this is my purpose in life, this is my calling. You know, it could be, as uh, you sort of reflect on, on life, that, that hopefully over my life I've worked hard and I've achieved something, I've made a difference, that that's our purpose, that we've worked hard and we're enjoying the fruit of that. Maybe to raise children well, that that's our calling, to have a great marriage if we're married. I uh, was watching TV during the week and there was, uh, there was one man who said that his great goal in life was to leave a small carbon footprint. That was his great goal in life. Now, I'm an Australian, we're cowboys, we don't know much about the environment, but uh, slowly I worked out what he meant was not use too much carbon, but uh, I thought, now that's a good goal, but do you want that to be your big goal, your big purpose in life? If your spiritual senses are sharp, then your calling in life is clear to know the hope that has been given to you, the hope of salvation, of being found righteous before the judge of all men, of being raised with an unbreakable body, raised forever to God's glory. And right at the heart of this hope, which is your calling in life, right at the heart of it, is knowing that your future, today, tomorrow and forever, is bound up in Christ's. Our hope is that we will be found in him, and appear with him in glory when he is revealed. Now for me, that is a purpose. The second thing we will see in terms of the purpose of this church, if our spiritual senses are sharp, is the riches of his glorious inheritance. Verse 18. Now often this phrase, uh, as I looked at the commentators during the week, is taken as our inheritance, you know, what God gives us, our, our prize if you like. But have a look at the phrase again the riches of his glorious inheritance. It is God's inheritance, God's prize being spoken of here, his portion, his people. All throughout the Bible, God describes his people as his inheritance, his treasure, his prize. And again, Paul is turning our world system on its head, our system of worth and value. If your spiritual senses are sharp, then you'll see your value comes from the fact that you are his and he values you incredibly highly. The third thing we would see if our senses are sharp, verse 19, is we would see the incomparably great power of God for us. If your senses are sharp, you will see the amazing resources that are available to you and to this church even now. You know, Paul is almost over the top here in making the point of just how powerful God is. The literal phrase is the energy of the might of his strength. He doesn't want you to miss the point. God is powerful for you. For our benefit, God will deliver on our hope. He will hold on to his inheritance. He will achieve his purpose for the church. And if you want proof... Look no further than the amazing demonstration of that power that this passage gives us, verse 20 to 23. 
How has God shown his mighty strength? Well, he has shown it in raising and exalting his son, Christ Jesus, from the dead. Think on that for a moment. What a demonstration of power. The two things we are powerless before, death and all the forces in this world that rage against us, he has conquered them once and for all. In rising from the dead, Christ has destroyed death, destroyed it and brought life and immortality to light. And in seating him at his right hand and placing his enemies under his feet, God has enthroned Christ above all the powers in this universe, all the ones you could imagine and then some, and all the names that have been or ever will be. He is the king. And then, verse 22, don't miss this. He gives this one, this powerful, mighty king, to the church. The king is head of this gathering that you are a part of this morning. He rules for communities like this one. I'm not sure what you think you're a part of when you wandered in here this morning, what sort of gathering that you're a part of. But let me give you three huge implications that come out of this passage and especially the last verse when it comes to this church, when we see who Christ is and we see how far from bangers and mash a gathering like this one is. The first is this. Now have a look at verse 23 for these. This church is the body of Christ. This church is the body of Christ. God has given Christ, who is the head of all things, to the church, which is his body. And when he talks about the body of Christ in this passage, he's not talking about a building. As great as this building is, he's not talking about this building. Nor is he talking about a denomination. He's talking about what he was talking about back in verse 15. Gatherings that express themselves all over the place in rooms, in homes, in pubs, I'm told in wine bars in this city. Wherever people who trust the king and love God and love each other are found, there is the body of Christ. Now that's amazing. The second implication is this, and this is a hard verse to get your head around, but if you do, you'll see the purpose of this gathering. Christ, who is the head of this body, is the king and even now as we speak even now is in the process of exerting his kingly rule over everything in every way that's what he's doing he is exerting his kingly rule over everything in every way there is no place in this universe where the authority of Jesus will not be felt but as we speak we know that there are many people places organizations governments religions, even denominations that live in rebellion to the king. He could come at any point in sovereign power and squash all rebellion. Remember, he is far above all authority. But now is his day of salvation, now is his day of amnesty. And by his blood, anyone can come and make terms of peace with the king. But he will rule every territory, he will. But for now, he comes with terms of peace. The third implication, this body, the body of Christ that you are amongst right now, which is his fullness, 
is the means by which he will fill everything in every way. Let me say that again, see if you can grasp what the Bible is saying here. This gathering is the means by which Christ will fill everything in every way. Our God is on a mission. Jesus is the head of that mission and we are the body. God plans to display his wisdom throughout the whole world. God wants to fill the universe with the glory of his son and we are the body he will use. Well might Paul pray that our spiritual senses are sharp because it takes prayer to grasp this and and not lose it in the interference as we leave here of, of the premiership game this afternoon or lunch or life this week to sort of grasp it and then have it lost amongst everything else. Be thankful to God that this community exists. It is a miracle. Pray that he may sharpen our senses of him so that we may see our hope, our worth to him and his incomparably great power for us and then let us boldly proclaim the king everywhere. And so now under him we are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.